Hello and welcome to the Stelvio Auto Show. I'm Sean Smith and I'm joined by Alistair Walker. Good evening all. Sam Green. Good morning all. And back from his fight against the Seagulls of Jersey, Montosaurus. Away, you bastards. Shoo, shoo, ho. Oh. Hello, guys. Sorry, sorry. That, 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 that was uh, that was pretty crazy. They were trying to get my ice cream. Disgraceful. Not Jersey mm. clotted cream ice cream, by chance. Oh no 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 no. No, that's a Cornwall thing. Oh, we do real know. Jersey ice cream with our Jersey dairy cows uh. with Jersey potatoes put in them. Oh. You know where's a really good place to buy Jersey ice cream? Jersey, Hartford. Really? Yeah, yeah. We've got a, my my one of my friends from school. Huh. As I heard of Jersey cows, she makes ice cream from them. Uh, there we go. That's in many other facts part of our uh, public service at Stelvio Automotive. I've something new today. Amazing. Thank us. you. Yeah, she's not sponsoring us, so that's as far as it goes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway um, so this little mini-series uh, is sort of a bittersweet one to do. Uh, basically, because of uh, the WC moving away, and indeed all of the world moving away from LMP as a brand in endurance racing, uh, I decided that we're going to sort of throw our, discuss our highlights, our favourite cars, any that are, were particularly uh, eventful or successful, or hopefully both. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll um, discuss anything from LMP, the original LMP, as it was called back in the early 90s, through LMP 1 and 2, LM 900, 675, if you can think of one that's actually any good. Uh, and yeah, LMP 3 if you really want to, but I don't think anyone's going to pay that. Uh, so... Without further ado, my t uh, this is my episode, so I'm going to just go for it. Let's start off with the greatest Ferrari sports car of the last many, many, many decades. The Triple Three SP. So Ah, uh, yes. The Ferrari engine car built by Delara. Yes. It's Can't ask for better than that. I, to be fair, much like a lot of sports cars, I think, is it's a something-engined Delara. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, then every, every because I'm pretty sure Wednesdays. that's the Cadillac DPI's or something engine Delara's. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a whatever the Cadillac make their engine is a Delara underneath. Yeah, it's a winning combination. Yes, just not in Ferrari's case. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go straight out with the strong stats here. The Triple Three SP would race in about 150 races, and it would win 50 of those. Through, it, through its career, it's actually more than I thought it would. More than I thought it won. Hmm. 144 races, 56 wins, and 69 nice pole positions. These, it was a bit of an odd duck because it was an odd. It was built at an odd time in sports car racing. It was. So at the time, you had a split between LMP cars that ran at Le Mans and sort of in Le Mans type events. And the world sports car class yeah. that the FIA seemed to favour at the time. I, think, I did an article on this about two and a half years ago, and it is amazing how similar the reason the Triple Three SP existed versus why the hypercars now exist. Because obviously, in America land, IMSA were around. They had the Toyota Eagle eighty. No, what was the name of it? There was there, there was basically a Toyota were dominating and and beat everyone else out of price and uh, competitiveness and. Um, they had to re reset the series, and that's where the Triple Three SP came along. Uh, basically, just out of a rules change, out of necessity for the sport in general. I'm trying to find this toy. So, whenabouts was this? Early nineties. Uh, uh, it would have been the very end of the GTP era, which was kind of the IMSA equivalent to Group C. Uh, 
Oh, I know the car you mean. It's it the was Eagle. Like yeah, because it was run by All American Racers. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Hang on. Of course, Sean, you didn't write the actual name of the bloody car in your in your article. Well done, two and a half years ago, Sean. Oh, uh, I'd be far that's too a... prepared, sir. Be far <laughs> too prepared. But that's yeah. okay because mm. Al knows what you're talking about because Al knows way too many odds. But well, the, the, the toys, the toys, of course, was uh, driven by Juan Manuel Fangio the second. Second, I mean, it's a good thing that Al at least understands what Sean's on about. It's just a shame <laughs> that no one listening to this would be able to understand what the hell. Yeah, we're but that's about, their so. problem. That's that's their <laughs> problem. No, that's the whole idea of a podcast. They're supposed to understand what you're on about. You're a bad host. You know that. So. Yeah, I know. Oh, really they're, they're, they're here mm. to learn. Exactly, and that's uh, why Al's here. Sorry. Let's talk about the Triple Three SP. <laughs> so, the Triple Three SP. I've I remember as a kid having like a, I had a little toy model of it. I always thought it was amazing. It's just it's. It looked particular, didn't it? It definitely did have a, a certain say, look to it. I think I had a Hot Wheels of this car as well. Yeah. And it was, well. in its defence, I'm going to be probably mean to it at times, so I'll start with a bit of defence of it. It sounds gorgeous. It sounds amazing. Yeah. The one bit Ferrari did on this car, they did really well. The, <laughs> the story is actually really good, because I think it was that Ferrari wanted to evaluate a full-on works team and basically, then because this is all the time that um, Formula One was sort of dragging in like Peugeot and Toyota, and not Toyota, um, all the big marks, Jaguar, for example. They were Mercedes. All, yeah, Mercedes. <clears throat> they were all being dragged into F1. And this was when Ferrari sort of went, uh, actually, maybe not. Um, because the, the Le Mans field, so to speak, was pretty much decimated around that time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they, well, they, they're the same incident basically that all the sports car teams of the era kind of started to move to f1 because of the move to the three and a half liter formula i think at the end of the group c era yeah uh-huh. it was yeah and it basically it was ferrari evaluating that and then not really thinking that it justified the money that it would have done and also not in the spirit with the uh with the lmp cars that actually came along um, the reason, technically, you could say it's not an LMP car, of course, <clears throat> because it is. No, it was a world sports car that kind of, because I think America favoured the world sports car regulations, as did the FIA. Ferrari built it for those, and it just kind of, because world sports car and LMP were, they were different. I think world sports car allowed for less aerodynamics. Basically, you had a lot less. Yep. A lot simpler underfloors, especially. But because they weren't a fundamentally different kind of car, it's not like an F1 car and an Indy car. You could run a world sports car at Le Mans as an LMP with a couple of modifications. So I think it was the. I know someone took it to Le Mans. It always seemed like it ended up at Le Mans more by accident than by intention, yeah. to be it's, honest. It's had some. Um... Which I should remember that it, it was technically a, a GT uh, entrant, uh, IMSA GT uh, thing in '94, wasn't yeah, it? But it was. I can't remember who. Would you like to know? This is the reason I'm, I'm thinking it, mainly because of its just grander success and the fact it was gorgeous and I love it. But would you like to know its Le Mans results? I'm right. guessing about 18th in class or a DNF. Okay, 1995. This is why written on, on the article. Uh, showed some pace, running as high as fourth. But retired due to stone damage after seven laps. Good job, Ferrari. Seven laps. Yes, that's more than. Well, that's, that's the same. Nearly number. as bad as the Aston Martin. <laughs> nearly. 1996. Well, the result. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's 94 at five. It was 47th DNF. 1996. 
Fastest in practice. Ran in top five, but retired with better with the better of two cars running 208 laps, 30 FDNF. 1997, sixth overall. Ooh. Solid <laughs> solid result, but 40 laps down on the TWR Porsches and the GT1s <laughs> completed, and it completed 321 laps. 1998, eighth place. But so by this point, it's like a five-year-old car, so it's it's getting on. LMP1 winner. Not much to talk about back then. Um, Winner against the faster LM GT1 cars and seven works backed manufacturers. 332 laps. And the final go, 1999, 41st DNF. Final attempt as a privateer team, massively outgunned by the TSO 20 and the V12 LMR. 79 laps. Uh, Not so it's a very really. checkered past the poor thing. Yeah. I almost thing th- indeed. I almost want to give it a hug now. <laughs> but it was, <laughs> as, as I, I mentioned. To win a third of its races it ever competed in, pretty good. Yeah, That's I'm guessing a lot of those were IMSA sports car oh, races. IMSA, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at the results there. It was a really different sort of story on uh, the other side of the Atlantic for it sure. Was, uh, I mean, I'm impressed to see it was racing between '94 until 2003 was yep. its last entry. It got taken Granted, to Italy. Grant in 2003 didn't really have a Ferrari engine in it though, according no, to this. It was, it was uh, a had a Judd in it by then, so that, that's quite funny. But it is to still... be fair, everything had a Judd in it at that kind of time period. It did, yeah, yeah. that's very true. You could just go buy them. I I don't think they were particularly expensive as a sports car engine, to be no. honest. The Judds, not at all. Let's move on. Um, to free SP. That's my my one of my favourite Le Mans cars ever. My favourite cars ever. So let's go on to another one of my favourites. I'm going in chronological order. So, in the year 2000, Al, um, some small German mark came up to Le Mans. Actually, uh, they didn't their actually, first did they? attempt yeah. was in 1999, yeah. which was oh. with the two-car assault, which were the precursors to your car. I should, I should have. So we had the Audi R8R and the R8C, one closed cockpit car built by RTM, RTN, who later did the Bentleys. Yep. And one open top car built by Delara again, I believe, actually. It was. Because if you want a racing car chassis, you goes to Delara. Especially, or at least you did in the 1990s. Oh, yeah, especially if you wanted an endurance car. Because they, yeah. they were good at it. Uh, let's talk about the infamous, because that's what it is. It's not famous, it's infamous. The Audi R8, the original R8. Not the crappy road car, which um, they still make today. And the road car isn't bad, but arguably this is, I would say, is the second greatest Le Mans car that I can think of of all time. Well, let's put it this way. 79 races, 63 wins, 47 pole positions. Mm-hmm. I think um, the other telling thing is how many times did it win Le Mans on the truck? Because it won it... Look to my left. Was it... One, two, three... Mm, did we count the Bentley Speed 8 <laughs> as an Audi R8? No, we don't. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Five, because it... Out of six. So it ran three in a row, didn't it, yep. with Audi. Then, they then Bentley left. won, which was... The Bentley an was an Audi. <laughs> yep. Um, and then it won two more Le Mans in private hands. One in the hands of a Japanese team whose name... I cannot and will not attempt I've got to a pronounce of them, but I don't have the, it doesn't have the name on it, so that's not helpful. Yeah, it's spelled G O H, but oh, team go. I oh, is that actually how it's pronounced? Yeah. Okay. Oh. 
I thought there might be a more complicated no, no, no. <laughs> pronunciation than that. Okay, so, yeah. But yeah, it was... So, five Lamar wins in six years. And even after that, its engine went on to power a Lola in 2007. Did it? It w- Yeah, that. it was a uh, Swiss Spirit. Cool. Ran a Lola with... Because it was an excellent engine, because it, it used the... Um, direct injection i think it was the first lamar car to win with direct injection hmm. just all around a terrific car let's go one better because american Le Mans series champion 2000 2001 2002 2003 2004 2005 2006 although 2006 did partly have the audi r10 but yeah that. so 2006 <laughs> was their transitional year because i don't think they had the r10 finished in time to sort of launch their season off did they that's right mm. that's right but i mean i don't think that takes anything away from the performance and to be honest the longevity of the r8 because it lasted a good while and to win in both i think that's probably a mark of a great sports car is winning in both manufacture and private hands yes i agree yeah it's because it's, it's, it's a shame that in many ways with you know with audi's r8 when they eventually did leave uh, in 2000, was it 15? The R18. Uh, no, I think it was 16. Yes. It's a shame they didn't. It's a shame they didn't um, allow uh, Team Yost to actually run the car afterwards in the vein of the Audi R8, because uh, that would have been if, the WC would have been different, I think. But not potentially, so. yes. It would have been but... slightly better, but. This, this, we can't really talk about the Audi R8 without talking about Mr. Le Mans himself, Tom Christensen, who of course did win the, uh, so many times with that car. I mean, the, the, the oh. gold—it was the golden generation in that car. I say, when you look at the list of drivers who drove this in period, it's, it's yeah, because you had Pila, Biro, you had some just yeah, incredible there some big drivers. names in there. You, you had like uh, Michele Alboreto as well. Um, Johnny yep. Herbert. I didn't know Johnny Herbert. Johnny Herbert did Stefan Johansson, Nick Asalo, McNish, of course. Um, no, there's been some really respected drivers uh, throughout the year, uh, throughout the years, I should say, uh, who have had a chance of driving this wonderful car. Yeah, I'd say it's one of the best sports cars Audi ever built, and they absolutely dominated Le Mans for a whole era, basically. Mm. I think this was the car that really set them on that path. I don't. This was the car that kind of set up the successes of the R18s to follow it, <clears> and definitely. the R10. I mean, 379 laps it completed in 2004 and 2000. Well, 2004 twice actually. Um, that would still get you a good result now, which is <laughs> says a lot <laughs> for the rules and also the cars that uh, run today. Uh, and the thing was, with an Audi R8, it would probably see you to the end as well. Mm. Well, interestingly, in some regards, not. Because one of the things that the Audi R8 was famous for, especially its first couple of years, was a weak gearbox. Mm. Oh, this is... And this is oh. Yeah, this is testament, I think, to... both Audi and their design, even though they had a bad gearbox for these cars, <clears throat> and Yurst as a team... Because the combination was just unbeatable. Yeah. They work. They basically worked out, as far as I know the story, that the gearbox would not last a 24-hour race. Mm-hmm. 
So they decided instead of trying to nurse the gearbox or rework the gearbox to make it last, what they would do was design everything around it to make it easy to remove. Yep. And they decided they would do gearbox changes in the race. I think it was 10 and minutes. And somehow, story, yeah, it, it's a ridiculous amount of time. And it, it defies all conventional wisdom, but it worked. And it got Audi the Le Mans win. It very much changed, uh, the R8 changed Le Mans into the endurance race everyone knew about to more of a, to a 24-hour sprint that we think of today. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, the, the, the Audi, by being able to be so efficient with their pit stops, with their strategy, with, you know, the brake changes, you know, they managed to get them down to like a couple of minutes rather than, you know, half an hour like it might have used to be. Um, they were able to just go flat out for however many hours, change whatever they needed to and still come out way ahead of the competition. I think it it really is. It, it was a defining changing factor uh, of Le Mans that we see to, to today, really. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I can't say that better myself. However, so I've done I've done well so far. You know, two, mm-hmm. two out of two. Let's now get to the greatest LMP2 car ever made, uh, the Porsche RS Spider, famous famous for being the only LMP2 car ever to beat an LMP1 over a championship. Yeah. Now it should perhaps come with a proviso that this was in the American Championship, and a lot of their tracks are. Tight. A lot tighter and a lot smaller. Somewhere like Lime Rock, for instance, they ran in the LMS at the time, which is that's a sub one minute lap in a touring car, let alone <laughs> a 600 brake horsepower prototype. <laughs> so the thing was, you didn't, somewhere like Lamar or Monza, the bigger, more powerful LMP1 cars had the advantage. Mm. But somewhere like Lime Rock or Long Beach, all of these small technical tracks, or St. Petersburg, which I think they ran at the time. Yep. You, the LMP1s lost that advantage, and it actually, the minor tangent, it reminds me very much of the theory behind LMP675 and LMP900. Because in essence, that that ended up playing out how 675 and 900 was supposed to play out. <laughs> So, for those who don't know, the story of the Penske Porsche, as it is very affectionately known as, uh, is very much that Volkswagen Group saw an opportunity in LMP2. Penske were happy to go for it. <clears throat> the two joined forces, and um, yeah, they made a car which didn't just beat the rest of the field. It completely obliterated. Um, so what, what it used to be was the manufacturers, the big manufacturers, would go up to LMP1, and then generally speaking, you'd have privateers, you'd have very small boutique manufacturers, maybe someone like a Radical um, would go to LMP2. And Porsche arrived <laughs> with this thing, um, spitting out, what was it, about 700 horsepower at one point. It was a lot. No, hang on, 700 horsepower was the R10, so it's 550 horsepower in the um, in the RS Spider. And because it weighed so little, it was just, as you say, it was agile, it was able to it was able to take on the, the tight corners it had so much downforce just through the the chassis and through the aerodynamics it had at the time and yeah it just it, it was amazing it, it, i remember watching it at the time it was and incredible. a very successful car at Le Mans as it well was. actually which yeah. same thing happened a rarity again. for sports cars you pick so this was sort of the time that i started watching Le Mans um 
and you had you know that you had the Lola Mazdas, for example, catching fire. You had the Juds, which you know were good, but they were agricultural <laughs> compared to uh, the Porsche RS Spider. It just moved the game on. You know, the, the, I think it was <sighs> the last year they ran it. <clears throat> they still had a Cura as their sort of like biggest rival by that point. Yeah, and um, Porsche still won by <laughs> something like nine laps or something ridiculous. Um, it was uh, it, it, the only reason I think the only reason it stopped racing was because it was either due to cost or due to just the rule the rules being it being slightly tweaked where the R Spider couldn't compete. But it was again like yeah, it, like the R eight. It was just game game changing. Yeah, if my memory serves me right. <laughs> it was regulatory that basically took the RS Spider out of competition. Which Because otherwise it... Yeah. Because it was... It was like nothing else in the LMP2 class at the time, honestly. No. It really wasn't. Uh, for its record, it's actually you know quite unsuccessful by standards of the other two. Uh, 63 <laughs> races, 13 wins, 10 pole positions and 12 fastest laps. Uh, most of those, of course, gained... Uh, in 2008 and 2007, I think, um, which is when because those those all obviously all they, it didn't in America so they didn't have classes as such. It was just LMP, so the, that's why the uh, the Porsche and the Audi were able to fight literally every single weekend and just <laughs> and that, that that's why they were also lower than they might have been. But it's still you know four constructors championships in the American Le Mans series uh, and. And also over here as well, it, it was successful. And the Drivers' Championship as well, it was four-time winner of that. Pretty good. Where are you getting that stat of 13 wins from? I, I've just counted 34 of the database here, but it seems to be merging well, the then, ALMS and then the ELMS Then Wikipedia together. is lying to me. <laughs> <sighs> Hang on. That Lesson is rude, kids, do not use Wikipedia yeah, as a reference. Control F on my own article. What did I... Oh, I didn't write anything. That's annoying. Where are you seeing... <laughs> Hang on. Oh, hey, it's okay. shown here. Apparently, its first win was in the 2005 in Monterey, and then its last win was in most sports uh, in 2010. I, I think that Sean's I think I'm is maybe maybe Sean's is overall wins. I th- not, yeah, his seems to be only wins. counting overall because yeah. there's a lot of class wins in here as well. well like, when it. it was being entered into ELMS, which would have been class based, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I'm foreseeing for one one season example, uh, Porsche would win 11 out of 12 races in the LMP2 class. But what is that in? Well, that must have been in must have been America because, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean that, this would have been that was 2007. So mm. already there, it was just dominant, and the Acura had come in by that point. So, um, yeah, <laughs> and the the Acura of course would go on to be equally nearly a successful stateside. Um, before, well, you know, when the RS Spider did leave, so it's hmm. the fact the RS Spider was able to do that again for it was. It's not like a one-hit wonder car. It was. It did this over year after year after year. It was just. It, it really was a a big leap forward. I mean, it's the whole reason that um, LMP2 got costed down as well. Um, hmm. They brought in sort of like the the low-cost Nissan engines and uh, the chassis were eventually the four the four turners just because people wanted to. Not have LMP2 as attractive to big manufacturers such as Porsche, who they wanted LMP1. Well, they, they may have. Um, I'm just looking at their list of drivers as well for this car. They've had some big names in this one throughout the years: Jan Lammers, Andy Ballas, Helio Castroneves, Ryan oh, yeah, Brisk. Because the the thing is, you had Penske running it, and Penske 
aren't a, the big boys. Yeah, yeah, they're sure. not someone to mess around. It's like when they go do a championship, much like with the V8 Supercars in Australia, mm. they put everything behind it. Mm. Well, I mean, even their European entries though had like a Jos Verstappen, Emmanuel Collard, Timo Bernhard. So, well, Roman Dumas and it, Timo it, Bernhard would be Porsche's boys for the next ten years afterwards. So it's exactly. Yeah. So this is where he started off. Ryan Briscoe, but yeah, was he had yeah. a good career after after this. Lucas Lure. wasn't he one of the drivers in the fraud? Yeah, yeah let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but um... <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, anyone else got anything? Does anyone did anyone ever see the RS Spider race? How you probably did? I did actually. I was at Le Mans in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, and two thousand and nine. So I saw the Essex Verstappen car yeah. and the other one, which was the green Dane, green and white Danish car. But I can't remember the uh... entrance for that car. I remember the car. I just can't remember it. Well, on Wikipedia it says Hora. No, Sweden, Switzerland. Never mind. Dame, Denmark is Team Essex, and then there's what was oh, the green and white one then? I don't know. I remember. I remember the car, but I don't remember um, who it was. What in what year is this? Sorry, two thousand seven. Eight. Eight. Yeah, I think it was the year after Jos Verstappen raced. Because I'm. Verstappen raced in two thousand eight. So it would be the 2009 entry of the RS Spider. Right. Team Go. Because it wasn't there in 2007. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got... Uh... I'm only seeing the Essex entry in this, but... Regardless, it was. It doesn't matter. It was. It still dominated whenever it went to Le Mans. Uh, in Absolutely. Class. So it was, again, it was a massive game changer. Um, sticking... Well, my third choice... For sort of the highlights of Le Mans is uh, more, let's say, more specialist in terms of its uh, appeal. So, put, <laughs> we've had two VAG Group cars so far. I'm just going to give it a, a triple header cap. The Audi R15, yeah, the Audi R15 Plus. Very, very, very specific about the plus at the end because the Audi R15 is a awful car and i hate it <laughs> but the r15 plus was excellent the was... r15 to its defense had an interesting concept with moving the air through the car yeah I mean, however it's... it just it didn't really have the pace to live up to its rivals at the time in persia well, of course this was the time that persia were the third year when the ra came out um and the r well the r10 by this point was four Ish, well, four years old, so it was. Uh, no, it was actually yeah, because it came out in two thousand and six. Yeah, so it was. It needed replacing. The Peugeot nine eight had pushed things forward in terms of aerodynamics, especially uh, closed cockpit, of course. But the R fifteen plus and the R fifteen, of course, before it, uh, they had to. They, it was a big departure in aerodynamics uh, with the Venturi tunnels, as you say. Um, but it was just i mean i remember it was low on power it was low it was overheating uh due to some design oversights and it was just it wasn't anywhere near the pace all the way through the race no it wasn't it looks very draggy by today's standards maybe yeah well the thing is at the time the cars were a lot more draggy i remember an interesting comment from anthony davidson and also some of the gt drivers at the time 
that they said being driven past by a prototype was like being driven past by a lorry on a motorway. Yeah. It was noticeable. Those at the time, it was like having a hurricane blow past you. They had an... In- comparatively to the modern cars, at least, they had an enormous amount of downforce. Yeah. Well, the reason being is the cars had enough power to drive all of that through the air. I mean, the I think the Audis had a slightly smaller physical engine, but at the time we were talking V12 turbo diesels. They, Five and no, a half liters. Yeah, these were still the larger engines because it was when they swapped to the 908 later generation car the and the no the faps were the early ones <laughs> the 908s were the later ones i just had to say the point of fap <laughs> and the r18s that the engines downsized so these things had not only a lot of power we're talking sort of 600 and something 700 i think mm-hmm. but because they were these big diesel engines they had enormous amounts of torque 1050 newton meters which is 775 oh, yeah. pounds feet that's oh yeah, they were they were insane cars. So yeah, they could get away with a lot of downforce because mm. they could just drive it through the air by pure force of will more than anything else. Now. I seem to remember these cars for two things. One, they were the only open top entry, which contributed to why they were so draggy compared mm-hmm. to the closed top ones. But I also seem to remember lots of bickering at the time about um, the amount of emissions and black smoke coming out the back of them. Yeah. And so um, there was a lot of talk of how teams were mapping their engines. So it would essentially do this dump somewhere on the track where there wasn't a marshal post yeah. whereas where there were marshal posts it was purposely running lean so it looked like it was going past nice and clean the rtm was famous for that i remember mm. seeing the r15 plus when that came past it was very different uh i don't know whether they obviously matured the technology since then but the r10 you could see it over coming over dunlop uh dunlop bridge and just seeing this big black cloud coming out, out um, through sort of in the, in the sun haze. Uh, but let's talk about the R15 Plus, which, of course, this is why it's worth picking. It is still, I think, the distance record holder at Le Mans. Yes, it is, isn't it? 5,410.7 kilometres. And I think what makes it potentially more impressive that the R15 holds the distance record is... It wasn't the car on track for the win. Right up until sort of two hours left in the race, it was the car on the back foot. Because it didn't have the pace still, did it? it the Persia yeah. was faster, definitely. The, yeah, the Persia was much faster. Because I think one of them went out... Because I remember this very acutely. So do I. One of them <laughs> went out early with suspension damage from qualifying with about... Three or two hours to go. One of them blew the right-hand bank of cylinders, or was why the bank of cylinders very specifically down on the deceleration into Mulsanne and Arnage, and um, into Arnage. Sorry. And then about an hour after this, the second works Peugeot did the same, handing the lead over to the R15. Mm-hmm being chased by the privateer, in inverted commas, (laughs) Peugeot being run by Orica that year. So, yeah, it it wasn't... I thought it was the turbos that went on one of them. It was, but 
the way I remember it physically in the broadcast is you saw fire. A, yeah, a big <laughs> fire plume coming out of one of the exhausts. Left hand side. Um, I remember left hand side coming into Indianapolis is where you saw the last one. I think it was still Anthony Davidson at the car. Um, I just, yeah, as you say, it was just burning <laughs> as this turbo was like just basically eating itself. Uh, it was quite horrifying to watch until D4. Uh, that means Audi's going to win. Yay. <laughs> uh, as someone who at the time was a Peugeot fan, yeah, so... my thoughts weren't quite the same. <laughs> yeah, but I liked the R15 Plus, which was, uh, the, the, uh, I'd say it is a distance record. It gave Audi a 1-2-3, as you said, and it was an amazing result. But it should have been a 1-2-3-4 for Audi that day because Coles Audi with the R10 in its last ever race <laughs> were running fourth place until their I think I think it's a drive shaft seized up with like two hours to go or something. Um, but and there is an on. interesting bit of trivia. I know on this channel we talk about sim racing a fair amount. So Studio Three Nine Seven, who develop R Factor Two now, are named after the distance record that the R15 set. Oh really? Yes. That's cool. yeah. Their names are reference to the distance record at Le Mans. Cool. Well, there you go. So that's dedication right there. I think that's definitely four out of four there, boys. I've, I've done pretty good. And so this is kind of the first sort of when I started being more aware of Le Mans was when the Peugeot versus Audi was. Oh, it was a brilliant battle. Happened. It was a good era. Even when you went to Silverstone, when they eventually started racing against each other, you could see just a swathe of red and black people in their Audi gear. <laughs> And the Peugeot people in their blue, and they would they, they would like like you could hear like see venom in each other's eyes. <laughs> they wouldn't. Like, it was like it's the closest I can imagine going to a V8 supercars race uh, and seeing the Ford versus Holden stuff. Uh, obviously, a lot more tamer being at Silverstone, but uh, you know you, you you had similar like cliques of groups of Peugeot fans and Audi fans. <laughs> it was quite. It was, it was always good fun, and this was also the time that W sorry. Not WC because it didn't exist, exist yet. Uh, the Le Mans series um, was beginning to regrow. Uh, I, I remember starting to go to Silverstone. There were about four thousand people one year, then six thousand, eight thousand, twelve thousand, twenty thousand, as the WC started to kick in. So it was again, again, like all these cars, they sort of they were always on the cusp of something changing in endurance racing. Mm. Which brings us to the, my final choice. Now, this is the one that actually I had no idea what it was <laughs> until I Googled it, and then I knew what it was. So what's your final choice then, Sean? Seeing as Sam, you don't know what it is because I changed my choice. Ah. <laughs> oh, the because, because originally we were going to sort of like all pick choices, then amalgamate them to pick the greatest LMP car of all time, which we might still do one day. Um, instead, we're now just going to pick our favourites. I wouldn't be... I would be probably disown from their fans fan group if i did not mention the bicolors clm p101 uh, <laughs> which i have made the car that has <laughs> remind me how many le mans has it entered uh one two three four five six as the p1 okay so in six starts yep it's finished once, yep. and what happened the one time it finished? It got disqualified because the, I think it was the no for distance. That's right. It didn't. It yeah, because it didn't complete enough of the race. But it spent so but, much time in the pits. No, because it only <laughs> spent time in the pits because they were fighting Nissan all race, which they were winning. Um, 
And because they I were mean, because they no, 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 no. RLM Nismo is not a bragging point. It was no, the R three ninety from the nineties <laughs> set a faster lap. Three nine one now. The three nine one. Anyway, oh. but that's the thing. They yeah, were they were that they car were scared to rule. I did not know existed. I was, which was the hundred and ten percent rule at Lamar. <laughs> I was scared that they were going to like break down because they always broke down. Even like you know a couple of years into the car, it was always known for breaking down, and. They were winning. They Fun were... story. They actually once broke down in front of Sean. They did. Yeah, they did at Silverstone. <laughs> I, I nearly, I nearly cried. Um, it's fate. But at that day, there, there was oh, who was their driver? Was it Pierre Caffer? It was either him or Trummer. Um, basically, came through the Ford chicanes, bounced over one of them. The back end came round. It sort of did a kind of like a mini bunny hop, um, which very much damaged the rear drive shaft and they had to race against time to fix that drive shaft to get it back out ahead of the Nissans, which luckily had already put like conked out by that point, so it was fine. Uh, then they finished the race. Um, but yeah, then they got disqualified for not completing enough of it, apparently, which uh, is a stupid rule, but never mind. Just coincidence that, isn't it? They did 260 laps, which isn't bad. Well, no. for a 12-hour race, it wouldn't be bad. <laughs> It's been amazing a twelve hour race. Um but no, let's talk about let's talk about it somewhat as fairly as we can. Uh by Collez. Longest serving Le Mans car, um I think maybe not ever, but it's in the modern modern times it's it's a it's a very long lasting chassis. Yeah, I can't think of any longer lasting P one, certainly. Yeah, no, neither can I actually. No, the rebellion didn't last anywhere near as long. No. Okay. I mean, to be fair, I think that is in part because they couldn't afford to build a second one. Because I don't think no, they could actually tub, afford to build a second tub, could they? No. Ah, yes, that's right. Was it also because yeah. if you take into account the amount of time that it wasn't running, <laughs> it was actually about the same as the rebellion? Funny that. So. Yeah. It, it, it was a very low mileage car when it got retired. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Look, okay, here's my here's one of my fair my fair facts about the Bicolors because I've I've got let's just say mild bias. I don't know if anyone can tell who's been listening to Stevens Motor for the last three years. Um, slight bias. Would you agree? Yeah, slight slight bias. A slight bias. Yeah, yeah a little okay. one. Okay. So, when the uh, WC came back, they sort of had the. It, well, but, but, I, can't remember, I can't remember the story, but it, eventually it did have the fast... It beat the Audi R18 uh, for the fastest ever non... Sorry, naturally aspirated engine round them all. It had that record for one year as the fastest ever lap for a naturally aspirated car. Wow. Yeah. There that is actually a decent record to hold. For what year. then took it? Um... Well, it did. Oh, I'm guessing it was one of the hybrid ones, nope. wasn't it? No, no, it? no, because they don't count, because they've got hybrids and that sort of thing. But it got beaten by itself, and the SMP Delaras, and the Rebellion uh, R13, and the, Dragon, and the Dragon Speed. But <laughs> for one year, it so... did hold the record. <laughs> For, Basically, so, when other people turned up <laughs> with naturally aspirated cars, no. it lost its record. Well, I was going to say the Genetta <laughs> was a turbo, so never mind. Well, actually, there's a point. The SMP was a turbo, or no, one of them was. 
Yeah, the SNP was a turbo, wasn't it? So that doesn't count either. So just the, just the Rebellion. Not the Rebellion would ever beat by Collars year after year after year after year. But hey, you know, when they come back next year with their new car, they'll have a last laugh because Rebellion won't be there anymore. Of course. You keep I mean, I that. am genuinely hoping to see Bicol's back because as much as I... I'm trying to think of the polite wording here, but I can't. So ruthlessly mock them. Yes, that's you do. You all do every weekend, every podcast. If you get the opportunity, I they don't have mock been... them. They're just not worth my time mocking. You don't. You don't. You don't spend enough time on our podcast, Monty. <laughs> he has given them the greatest insult a foe can have. Ignore Nord. Right. So anyway, uh, I'll finish your point. Yeah, I do genuinely want to see them back because I do admire the fact they have kept trying at Lamar after all those failures, after all those heartbreaks, after all those, well, exploded engines. Many exploded engines. They keep trying, and I do respect that. You're kind of plucky, aren't you? Yeah. You know that it's very, that you, something has to go catastrophically wrong for the rest of the field for them to win. But just the fact they're there is an achievement. They have won races. Have they? Have they? Well, have they? Oh, well they yeah. Have. Uh, LMP, oh, LMP1L. This... The, one, the one or two years that ran for. And, Re and Rebellion uh, retired. They won in China. I remember that. I was extremely happy. <laughs> oh, dear. Like four so the, they four... won a class of three cars because two of them nope, retired. two cars because Rebellion only, only ran one car that day. I love That's... it when cars win on default. <laughs> but yeah, there we go. That's that's more or less it. By close, everyone knows my favourite car in the world. Um, and if anyone's ever wondered, this is pretty much why we mock Sean's car choices <laughs> mercilessly e that... and on a regular basis. Yeah, it's still better than, than Cree's Nissan. Banter. It's banter. It's fine. Can do it. I mean, again, that's not difficult. <laughs> All they had to do to be better than the GTR LM Nismo was, was turn up. Well, finish. It's finished, and they did. I mean, Once. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for their new car. It's going to be so good. But that's uh, that's for maybe 20 years' time when we worry about the end of um, hypercar rules. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Stable Auto Show. Um, this uh, immediate series, we're going to have uh, Al, Cree, Sam and uh, uh, Monty all do their choices over the coming while. But, uh, Hooray! I hope, uh, I, hope you, I hope people enjoyed my choices because they're, 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 they were mostly good. <laughs> if you did, there's something seriously wrong with you because oh, I did not on. enjoy that whatsoever. Bollocks, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, every, and every... the Audis, to be fair, the Audis were a good show. And the RS Spider. Well, and, yeah. And the Triple Free SP. Well, and the bicolors. I'm think, <laughs> just thinking about it. I think I have seen the Porsche RS Spider oh, yeah. race. Yeah, Goodwood? I think I went to a Masters meeting. No, I think it was Masters. Yes, because these cars that. do get this era of car do get used now in historic championships, which yeah. is always mildly distressing to see. <laughs> Not in. T I should preface this. I love seeing the fact people are still racing them. A race car shouldn't be a museum piece. A race car should go from active racing to quietly sat in a garage for a couple of years Boss GP. to amateur racing to classic racing. Exactly. That's what the life of a race car should be. 
what distresses me is the fact I see these wheeled out as classics and think, wait, I remember that. Yeah, you, you go, wait, I remember that. And you, then you see someone like Gerda van der Garde taking 110% out of it uh, and sometimes hitting a wall. But that's a different problem. <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of the Debbie Auto Show. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Monty, Al and Sam for joining me. No problem. And we shall... Pleasure as always has been yours, sir. As, as always, mate, as always. And we shall see you soon. Take care and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.